0: About two years ago or so, I had the opportunity of going to the country of Bosnia for two years with the International Mission Board. And before we went there, uh, every missionary who goes out with the International Mission Board goes to Richmond, Virginia, a little bit outside of Richmond, Virginia, for two months of training. And during that two months of training, they just prepare the missionaries and get them ready for as best they can for life outside of American culture. And one of the things that they have every single missionary do is memorize a few different verses, and one of the different verses that they had us memorize was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, which says, "...and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." Now, if you're anything like me, at the time, I was thinking, why did they have us memorize that verse? I mean, I know it's the, the Word of God and that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but, man, it seems like there's so many other passages that have so much more meat to them or so much more important, more vital to our walks with God. So why would they have us memorize this? And it wasn't until they, they began teaching us what this meant and uh, we began meditating on it and through memorization and it began dwelling on this passage that I really began to see the true beauty of, of this passage. And right here we have a beautiful picture of what discipleship truly should look like. And within this one succinct verse, we have four different generations of the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading to different people. Let me explain that to you. So let's work through the verse. Um, This is Paul talking to Timothy. And so he says, what you have heard from me. so, So Paul and Timothy, what Timothy has heard from Paul. So there's two generations right there. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, third generation, so from Paul to Timothy to faithful men, who will then be able to teach others, fourth generation, also. Four different generations of the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading to different people in the context of discipleship. And that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, is discipleship, for basically two different reasons. First of all, main reason is that uh, discipleship is all throughout scripture. The, the idea of discipleship is thoroughly scriptural, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Anywhere you look, you see this theme of discipleship everywhere. So it's thoroughly scriptural. And that is the basis for, for everything that we should do in ministry. Everything that is, that is said behind this pulpit should be first and foremost, based and rooted in the word of God. And so that's, that's definitely true of discipleship this morning. But there's a second reason as well. Second reason I want to talk to us about discipleship this morning is that discipleship has had a very huge, a very profound impact on my life. Uh, Starting, I I can kind of resonate with with Jeremiah where he talks about how even before I was born, in my mother's womb, you were forming me, you were fashioning me, you were shaping me into who I should be. And I I was incredibly blessed in my life to be born to to very godly uh, parents who who raised me in the fear and admonition of the Lord, who took me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and taught me um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And not only taught me that, but, but lived it out in their own lives and, and showed me by example what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And it didn't just stop there. Um, God continued to uh, allow me to be discipled, even outside of the family structure. At the age of eight, um, he brought a guy into my life named Chad Pritchard, uh, who was a science school teacher, but so much more than a science school teacher. He was a man, a godly man, who, who poured himself into me day after day after day, Uh, would spend time with me before the science school class, after the science school class, talking to me about what the Gospel truly was, about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ, explaining to me that I am a sinner, and because of my sin, I am separated from a holy God. But not just a holy God, a loving God. A loving God who loved me so much that He sent His Son to take my place for the punishment of my sin that I rightly deserved. And he spent, he was very patient with me and spent four years explaining that to me from the ages of eight till 12 until eventually through, through my hardheadedness, the spirit of God uh, with him as an ambassador, him as an instrument of the Lord uh, led me to salvation, led me to faith in Jesus Christ. And he didn't just stop there. He continued to disciple me, he continued to pour himself out into my life and show me what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and until about the age of 16. And, and even part of that was, was taking me on my very first mission trip, my very first time outside of the United States to Santiago, Chile. And it didn't stop there either. Um, God continued by his grace to, to place people in my life who would disciple me, who would, who would show me what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Who would, who would lovingly rebuke me, who would lovingly discipline me, who would lovingly call me out when I'm acting foolish, but who would also uh, exemplify uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for those two reasons, uh, the main reasons why I want to talk to us about discipleship this morning is that it's thoroughly scriptural and that it's had a huge, profound impact on my life. And as I began kind of thinking about this idea of discipleship, I had a little bit of trouble because uh, as I mentioned before, it is thoroughly scriptural. It is all throughout scripture. And so it seemed like everywhere I looked, I began studying this about uh, a month ago as I began preparing this message. And I wasn't sure kind of where to start. I was like, man, man, I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew because I don't know where to be rooted in. And I've chosen to, to be rooted in uh, the book of 2 Timothy. So if you'll turn to 2 Timothy with me. Um, and actually, before we turn to 2 Timothy, let's, let's turn to, to Acts because I want to kind of I want to give us a, a little glimpse at where this started and i want us to look at second timothy simply because the relationship you see between paul and timothy is is possibly the the best example of discipleship that we see in scripture of uh, the way that paul poured himself out into the life of timothy and and showed him what it meant to be a follower of jesus christ and that that story really starts in Acts 16 where timothy kind of enters the picture here this is during paul's second missionary journey And it says in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, said, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so that just basically shows us Timothy entering the picture, and for the next several years, he spends day by day by day with Paul, living with him, doing ministry with him, seeing what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and having Paul pour himself out into the life of Timothy in what we would call discipleship. And so I want us to really work through the idea of discipleship by by simply asking three different questions. Three questions are, are what, why, and how. And uh, before we, we dive into those questions, I want to give us a, a definition for discipleship. And this is simply Caleb Hecox's definition. This is, there's not anywhere you can go in Scripture to look for uh, this is what discipleship is. This is the definition for discipleship. And I think it's, it's thoroughly rooted in Scripture and, and actually taken... Parts from Scripture and, and partly from um, other men of the faith who are um, more mature and have a, a longer, uh, better walk with Christ than me. So it's, it's pulled from other people, but I think it's, it's very rooted in Scripture. And I, I want to give us a, a kind of working definition for what discipleship is. And that is spurring one another on. I want to pause this right there real quick. Spurring one another on. I love that imagery. Um, I take that from, from Hebrews 10, 24, specifically the NIV version, um, where it talks about spurring one another on. And I have a, I have a love for horses and for horseback riding. And so it makes me think of uh, a spur is, is used to, to get the, the horse to go in the direction that it needs to go. It's, it's this idea of doing whatever it takes to get the horse to go where, where it needs to go, even if it causes temporary discomfort and displeasure. And I think that's a beautiful picture of, of what discipleship is, is getting our, our brothers and sisters to become more like Christ, even if it causes temporary discomfort and displeasure. And so spurring one another on, back to our definition, spurring one another on towards Christ-likeness, that's the goal. Becoming more and more like Christ. The fancy word for that is sanctification. where we become more and more like Christ on a gradual, on a daily basis. So spurring one another on towards Christ-likeness through learning and obeying the Word of God. Learning and obeying it. Learning is, we want to learn the Word of God, but it can't just stop there. Because the Word of God talks about how knowledge puffs up. And so we can, we can know all kinds of Scripture. We can have a lot of it memorized. Man, Satan himself knows probably more Scripture than anybody in this room. Yet he is not a follower. He is not obedient to the Word of God. He has not submitted himself to the teaching of the Word of God. And so it can't just stop with learning the Word of God. It has to also be accompanied by obeying and submitting our lives to the Word of God. So spurring one another on towards Christ-likeness through learning and obeying the Word of God in three different areas, in our personal lives, in small group community, and in large group community. Let's work through that real quick in our personal lives. Man, that, that's simply our, our one-on-one time with Christ, our, our devotion, our, our uh, quiet time, if you want to call it that, um, where, we, where we dig into the Word of God, we, we dig into prayer, we dig in through the spiritual disciplines. I, I believe y'all have gone through the spiritual disciplines recently as a church, where you dive into those things in a, in a personal way, your, your personal relationship with Christ. But it can't stop there. As vital and as important as that is, the Word of God talks about the the importance of community and the unity of the body of Christ. And so no man is an island. We we can't just follow God um, ourselves apart from uh, his bride, from the body of Christ. And so that's why these other two are are just as important in small group community and in large group community. Small group community can look uh, a bunch of different ways. It can look like one-on-one discipleship, kind of like what we see in Paul and Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy, like we're about to look at, uh, as an accountability partner or discipleship partner, or maybe mentor-mentee type of relationship. But it can also be a, a small group Bible study or a Sunday school class. Any, any small group gathering where the purpose is to spur each other on to become more and more like Christ. It's a small group community and also in large group community. Simply what we have here. Large group community, the gathering of the body of Christ, um, for corporate worship and for corporate uh, learning the Word of God and submitting ourselves to the Word of God. I believe all three of those are essentially important for our discipleship and our walks with Christ. And so that's the definition that we're going to kind of work through this morning and look at... um, uh, kind of how this is rooted in Scripture. Like I said, we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy uh, chapters 1 through 3 in different parts. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time as we answer these, these different questions and, and help ourselves to really understand what discipleship truly is. Before we dive into the Word, let me, uh, let me pray uh, over our time together. Father, thank you so much for just giving us the opportunity of coming before your Word, learning from your Word. Lord, hopefully growing closer to you, Father. And my, my prayer this morning is very simple, that every single one of us would, would leave this place more in love with you than when we came in here. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would you'd help that to happen. Lord, remove me out of the way, remove um, my humanness, remove my, my inability to, to clearly uh, enunciate the word of God or, or, or say what needs to be said, Lord. Pray that your your spirit would, would work through my my inefficiencies to, to speak to every single heart within this room. Pray these things in the name of your son Jesus, Amen. All right, so three questions. First, what what is discipleship? And we've already looked at that at that definition. And I, I encourage it, uh, everyone to, to write down that definition. And uh, as we kind of work through what di- uh, what discipleship truly is, I think discipleship is marked by three different things. The first thing is that discipleship is marked by a deep-rooted love for your fellow Christian. A deep-rooted love for your fellow Christian. And we see that here at the opening of, of 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. This is Paul writing a, a letter to his disciple Timothy. They've been separated at this point, And so he's writing a letter to him, and he says... To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice Paul's close bond and love for Timothy. Notice that he calls him my beloved child. Now we just looked a little bit ago at Acts 16, where Timothy kind of comes on the scene. And we know from that passage two things. First of all, that Timothy was not Paul's biological son. He was not related to to Paul in a biological sense, but neither was he uh, Paul's what we call a spiritual son. Paul did not personally lead Timothy to salvation, to faith in Jesus Christ, because we see in Acts 16 that he was already a disciple, he was already a follower of Jesus Christ. So, how is Paul able to say here to Timothy, my beloved child? And I think it just goes to show that. Throughout spending time with Timothy day by day for for the midst of of several years, he developed a very, very deep-rooted love for Timothy that that was displayed in in how he lived his life. And I I mentioned how discipleship has has been uh, very huge in my life and had a profound impact on who I am. And if it wasn't for God putting those people into my life, um, I, I feel like I very easily could have gone a much different direction in my life. And so I'm so thankful for that. And as I think back through those relationships, every person who was intentional about discipling me and pointing me to Jesus, at no point did I ever question their love for me. I mentioned before how, how part of that discipleship um, involved discipline, involved rebuke, involved them calling me out when I was being foolish. And I was able to, accept that. I was able to receive that from them because at the end of the day, I knew that it was coming from a heart of love. They had showed from, from spending time with me, from pulling themselves out into me, that it was for my best, that they were, they were doing this for my best. They wanted me to become more like Christ, and it was coming from a heart of love, and that's huge in our discipleship process. So first of all, what is discipleship? It is first of all marked by a deep-rooted love for your fellow Christian. The second thing that it's marked by is marked by an insatiable desire for Christ above all else. Discipleship is marked by an insatiable desire for Christ above anything else that this world has to offer. And I think that works itself out in three different ways. Let me explain those three different ways. The first one is through intentional work. Look at 2 Timothy with me there. We're going to look at a few different passages here in 2 Timothy. But chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6, Paul, Paul talks about this idea of fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. And think of the, the picture analogy that, that Paul is presenting there. When you, he, He's, he, he's painting this picture of, of a fire that needs oxygen, that needs a fan in order to, to, to grow that fire. And... You don't fan a flame passively. You don't fan a flame without intentional work. It takes the intentional work of of moving the arms up and down and and waving and and forcing air onto that flame in order to to fan it into flame. It takes intentional work. Paul also talks about this, the same idea of intentional work, in chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then a few verses later, in verse 19, he goes on to say, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Talking about intentional work. Talking about a worker who is rightly handling the word of of truth. And and the ultimate, the end game, the, the goal here is, in verse 19, to depart from iniquity. That's, that's part of what sanctification is, that's part of what it become, what it means like to become more and more like Christ on a daily, on a gradual basis is um, to depart from iniquity, to, to purge out the sin, the, the things within us that do not resemble Christ in our lives, departing from iniquity. It takes intentional work. There's another place that Paul talks about this. He goes on saying in, a, in verses 21 and 22 of, of chapter two, He says, "Therefore If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Intentional work, flee youthful passions. And as you flee something else, pursue these things, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. Not just you yourself. No man is an island, not just in your personal quiet times, but along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue these things in small group community and in large group community. Is what Paul is talking about. So intentional work is, is the, the first way that we, we have an insatiable desire for Christ above all us. The second way is a willingness to suffer. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 8 of 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 8, look there with me. Paul says to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God in, in chapter 1, verse 8. And then uh, two chapters later in chapter 3, verse 12, he kind of reiterates this, this same idea. He says, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice that Paul doesn't leave any room for exceptions there. The word all is incredibly important all throughout Scripture. Most notably in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's inclusive of every single human being, Again here, he uses that same word, all. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's part of what it takes to have, to have discipleship as part of your life and, and to, to have an insatiable desire for Christ above anything that this world has to offer, a willingness to suffer. The third way in that we have an insatiable desire for Christ above all else is by having examples to follow. Look at chapter 1, verse 13, there in 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Our first and foremost example is Christ himself. He is the ultimate example that every single one of us should be following after. But I think the Bible presents this idea of of also having other examples within our life that we should follow. We see that that Paul um, mentioned this idea in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's important for for us as followers of Jesus to, to not only be following Christ himself, but to also have godly examples of those who are following Christ as a part of our lives. To have godly men, godly women who are further along in their faith who are pursuing Christ with, with everything that they have within them, to have them as part of our lives and to see their example of, of how this faith is lived out on a day-by-day basis. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. And he mentions that a few different times here in 2 Timothy as well. We, we opened up by, by looking at uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, which says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The things that you've heard me teach Pass that on. The example that you've seen me as I'm speaking, as I'm sharing the gospel um, to the Jews, to the Greeks, in synagogues, out on the street, that I've shared the gospel with you, pass that on to those around you. He also kind of talks about this idea in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Paul says, you, talking to Timothy here, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, You follow my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. There it is again, persecution and suffering. That happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. This is Paul sending a very personalized letter to Timothy. You think of, of the letters that Paul has written. Um, he's responsible for writing 13 different letters in the New Testament, and, and the majority of those are addressed to church bodies. You think of Colossians, he's writing to the group of believers gathered there at Colossae, or, or Thessalonians to the believers there gathered in Thessalonica, uh, same with Ephesians, same with the majority of his letters. But this one kind of has a, a much different tone to it. He's writing a very personalized letter to one specific individual to Timothy. And he says here, I think he, um, I think he, he writes this with a, with a good bit of emotion here. As he writes to Timothy and says, you, however, Timothy, you followed my teaching. You've seen the words that I've spoken. You've seen uh, the, the way I've proclaimed the gospel message. You followed my conduct. You know how I've lived my life day in, day out, when, when things are good, when things are bad, and the highs and lows. You've seen my aim in life. You know the the purpose for why I do the things I do. You know my ultimate goal for for what drives me in life. You've seen my faith in the most hopeless of situations. You've seen my patience in dealing with a persistent unbeliever or, or possibly a believer who is persistent in their sin and won't repent. You've seen my patience in those situations. You've seen my love being poured out. You've seen my steadfastness that I am not going to give up no matter what it takes. I'm going to do everything it takes to spur others on towards Christ. See my persecutions and sufferings that didn't happen just once, it happened at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. Man, Persecutions and sufferings were a huge part of Paul's life and his following Jesus Christ. And yet, I was able to endure all that because the Lord rescued him. The Lord was with him. That's a big part of discipleship. So, seeing that, asking this question, what is discipleship? It's first of all marked by a deep-rooted love for your fellow Christian, Second of all, it's marked by an insatiable desire for Christ above all else. That works itself out in three different ways: intentional work, and willingness to suffer, and having examples to follow within our life. The third thing that it's marked by, by that discipleship is marked by, is submission to the Word of God as the ultimate authority in your life. Discipleship is marked by submission to the Word of God as the ultimate authority in your life. We see that in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 here, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, 14 through 17, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Discipleship is marked by submission to the Word of God as the ultimate authority in your life. So we've asked the question of of what? What is discipleship? And I gave you a working definition, and we've kind of seen how that has played out throughout 2 Timothy, and then it's marked by three different things. Marked by a deeper love for your fellow Christian. It's marked by an insatiable desire for Christ above all else. And it's marked by submission to the Word of God as the ultimate authority in your life. The next question I want to ask us is, is why? Why should we be intentional about discipleship? Why should we be intentional about discipleship? And I think for two reasons. First reason is that true discipleship will not happen without intentionality. True discipleship is not going to happen without you being intentional about it. So we, we know that God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He is an unchanging God. But that is not true about us as human beings. We are constantly changing. We are constantly being formed. We are constantly uh, uh, being somebody different than who we are. You don't have to look even outside of yourself to know that that's true. Who you were 10 years ago is not the same as who you are today. And who you are today is not the same as who you are going to be 10 years from now. We are constantly changing. And we can change in two different directions. We're going to change in a positive direction or change in a negative direction. And scripture gives examples of, of both of those cases. We'll start out with the negative first. In 1 Corinthians 15 33, Paul, Paul says, Bad company ruins good morals. Saying, Man, the people you hang out with, you're going to eventually become like. You can change in a, in a positive, in a, in a negative direction, in a worse direction, and, and become less like Christ. But there's also ways that you can change in a positive direction. Uh, one of the multiple examples that we have is, is Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. It says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Another beautiful picture of discipleship and the fact that, man, if I surround myself with, with godly men who are pursuing Christ above all else, then it's going to make me want to pursue Christ above all else. It's going to make me want to become more and more like Christ on a daily basis. Some of you have, have gotten the opportunity to, to meet our sweet baby girl, Nova Grace. And she is just a little over nine weeks old, um, and we are, we are new parents, um, and we are learning a lot throughout this whole process, um, making a lot of mistakes. And one of the things that, um, one of the things we're actually smart enough to do though, even though we're, we're new at this whole process, and unfortunately, Nova didn't come with any kind of training manual to help us out, Um, But we knew that once we had given birth to Nova and were uh, able to check out from the hospital, we didn't just take her to the side of the road and set her down and and pat her butt and say, all right, good luck, you're you're on your own now. We did our job of of delivering you, you're in this world, you got it, best of luck. No, we were smart enough as parents, even though we had never been through this process before, even though um, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, we are still smart enough to know that, that Nova Grace needs to be fed, needs to be nourished, needs to be taken care of. The question is, why do we as a church have such a hard time realizing that, that has to take place in the life of a believer? The Word of God talks about this idea, this analogy of, of well, Christ talks about, you, you must be born again. This, this he equates our spiritual birth to our physical birth. And the fact that um, other parts of Scripture talk about moving, transitioning from, from milk to meat. And um, the fact is that every single follower of Jesus Christ starts out as a newborn babe and has to, has to grow, has to, be first, has to be nourished, has to be fed, has to be taken care of, has to be shown what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's a huge part of what discipleship is one one other thing that we've we've learned in our parenthood and and been reminded of quite a few times is that nova grace quite frequently has dirty diapers that unfortunately um i've got to change or summer's got to change a lot of the time those dirty diapers are nasty they're smelly they are disgusting and i I almost thought about bringing up a, a visual illustration. I know Pastor Allen is, is big on visual <laughs> illustrations. Um, but I figured that probably wouldn't be appropriate to bring up a, a nasty, dirty diaper of, of Nova Grace. I imagine without too much uh, thought process, you can, you can imagine what a dirty diaper looks like. That it's disgusting, and she's got to be cleansed of that and, and put a new diaper on. And that as well is a huge part of what discipleship is. So my question is, are are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciple-makers, are we willing to change dirty diapers? Ministry, a lot of times, is messy. And when we're walking side-by-side with our brothers and sisters in Christ, they're going to fall. Shoot, I'm gonna fall. Pastor Allen's gonna fall. We all still continually struggle with sin in our lives, and we'll continue to struggle with that until glorification, until we go to meet the Lord and uh, eternity. And so are we willing, when they fall, to walk beside them and to help clean their dirty diapers? When they're persistent in their sin, even, even if it's in a terrible sin, are we willing to get our, our hands dirty and to help clean dirty diapers and to help show and restore them through repentance, help restore them to a, a walk with Christ that is healthy and beneficial for them and for everybody involved. So why should we be intentional? First reason, because true discipleship is not going to happen without intentionality. The second reason is that discipleship is both modeled and commanded in Scripture. So not only is discipleship very clearly modeled and displayed in Scripture, it's also clearly commanded as well. A lot of times we, we as a the New Testament church kind of debate back and forth as to um, what examples we see in the New Testament that we should still be following, especially in Acts. We see, we see them practicing certain things and in a lot of modern day churches kind of debate back and forth. Is that something that they just did in that time? Or is that something that we are supposed to continue to, to practice and to follow um, every day? And, and one of the major criteria for helping us determine that decision is is it not only just modeled and displayed in Scripture, but is it also commanded in other parts of Scripture? And we see that that's true with discipleship. Discipleship is not just uh, modeled and displayed all throughout Scripture. I talked about that earlier. But it's also very, very clearly commanded. And probably the most most obvious place that it's clearly commanded is in the Great Commission, which I think all of y'all are familiar with. But in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Christ says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey, not just to learn the Word of God, not just to learn what I've said, but also to obey it, to observe it, to follow it, to submit your lives to it. So why should we be intentional about discipleship? Because first of all, true discipleship will not happen without intentionality. And second of all, discipleship is both modeled and commanded in Scripture. And that leads us to our last question, is how? How do we do discipleship? How do we make this happen in our lives? I want to look at that that definition that I gave earlier, spurring one another on towards Christ-likeness through learning and obeying the Word of God in our personal lives and in small group community and in large group community. And I want us to, to look at one of the passages. Flip back to the Old Testament with me, to the book of Deuteronomy. I know as you're turning there that, that Deuteronomy is probably not a book that many of us are super familiar with. But I think the passage that we're going to be looking at, I think most of us will be pretty familiar with it because not only is it it's, uh, quoted quite a few times in the New Testament, um, but it's also a very key passage for the nation of Israel and and. Something that kind of drove everything that the nation of Israel did, especially in the Old Testament time. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. And what I want to do is is read through this passage, and then we're going to come back and kind of work through it almost verse by verse as we address this question of how do we make discipleship happen in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. So, how do we do discipleship? I want to focus on that that first verse there, and then really the first word. That that word here, um, I'm reading from the ESV here, and ESV translates that as here. And um, that's a really difficult word to translate into English. The the Hebrew word for that is Shema, which is really important to the the nation of Israel, and it it meant a lot more than here. Yes, here was a big part of that, but it it meant more than that. and in different places throughout the Old Testament, it's translated in different ways. And some of the different ways that the word Shema is translated, it, it means to listen, to, to obey, to listen, kind of what we, hear, we have here with uh, here. So to listen, but it also means more than that. It means to obey. It also means to, to follow and to learn. And I think the best understanding of this word Shema is really all those combined. For us to listen, to obey, to follow, and to learn. And so, Moses is saying here, hear, O Israel, listen, obey, follow, learn this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is my prayer for our youth. That they would listen and obey and follow and learn the word of God and make it a part of their lives. So much so that this is the basis for every decision that they make in life. That is my challenge to the youth, and also my challenge to you, my challenge to myself as well, that I would continue to listen to, to obey, to learn, to follow the Word of God in my life and make it the basis for everything I think, for everything I say, for everything I do in this life, for how I treat my wife, for how I raise my child, for how I live my life in every aspect of my life. And I want to work through that with us. And we see this done as we work through this passage, first of all, in in personal discipleship. Look at verses 5 through 6 there with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Moses is here speaking to the, the community, the congregation of the people of Israel, but he's speaking in a very personalized way. He's saying, you, individual, you, each and every one of you, love the Lord your God, with everything that is in you. And these words that I command you right now, today, those things shall be on your heart. My question is, are you personally hearing, learning, and obeying the word of God every day? Each day is what he commands, the primary thing that is on your heart. When you wake up each morning and roll out of bed, what is the first thing on your heart? What is the first thing on your mind? What is the primary concern of that day? Is it situations going on at work? Is it maybe a fight that you had with your spouse that you're wondering is going to spill over into this day as well? Is it maybe how you're going to get your kids to, to all the different activities and everything going on? What is the primary thing on your heart each and every day? Is it the Word of God? Is it following? Is it listening? learning and obeying the Word of God. And we see that personally done here. Personal discipleship. The next thing that I think that Moses addresses, he didn't didn't just stop with personal discipleship, he moves on to family discipleship. And we see that in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Family discipleship. Uh, kind of falls under the idea of small group community. Spurring one another on towards Christ And small group community needs to happen first and foremost within the family. Fathers, leaders of household, I implore you, be diligent to train your family. Be diligent to teach your family the word of God. When? Man. Moses talks about you shall talk of it when you sit in your house, like when you're, when you're hanging out in your house, when you're at a meal, or when you're watching TV, when you're just sitting around your house. But not just then, when you walk by the way, when you're, when you're walking around um, outside, when you're doing activities with your family. Then is it an appropriate time to teach your children the Word of God. When you lie down, when you rise. Many times I've been asked uh, by other people, individuals and families as well, Um, When is the best time to have my devotions? When is the best time to do family discipleship? Should I do it in the morning or in the evening? And I would say both. Man, yeah, Moses is, is adamant here. Like, every opportunity you get and everything that you do Look for opportunities to point to Jesus. Look for opportunities to train up your family, to train up your children, and to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This isn't just a 15 segment of your day that you kind of check off the list and then move on. No, this is something that that worked itself out in every aspect of your life. And it starts, first and foremost, with your family. So we see it's done in personal discipleship. We see that it's done in family discipleship. And lastly... We see that it's done in every aspect of our lives. It's done continually. It's done in everything that we do. In everything we do. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. How many times do you, do you go about your day without your hand attached to you? How many times do you, do you walk out the door and, and leave your eyes behind? Or more importantly, the things that you view as you go throughout life, are you view, viewing them through the filter of God's word? Are you processing that information and thinking through that as the Bible as your ultimate authority in life? Or are you processing and, and seeing those things from a worldly perspective? In everything you do, when you walk uh, in, in every aspect of your life, including the way that you, you build your house, the way that, that you do home life, Write it on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Man, when when people drive by, when people come to visit, is it very clear to them that, man, this is a godly family. This is a godly mother and father who is following Christ in every aspect of their lives. Is Is it evident within your home life? This idea of obeying God in every aspect of our lives comes a whole lot more naturally if we are faithful in the first two. If we are faithful in our personal discipleship, and we are faithful in our family discipleship in a small group community, it's a whole lot easier to be faithful to follow God in everything that we do. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 24, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Kind of makes me think back in in verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. When you roll out of bed, is the primary thing that's on your heart the word of God. Because out of the heart flows what you speak, what you say, how you do life. And so in order to follow Christ in every aspect of our life, is that the primary thing on your heart? So I'll leave us with with this idea, this this challenge. To, To me, first and foremost, but to everybody in here as well. How are you? How are you, Caleb Hecox? How are you fill in the blank. Going to make sure that discipleship is happening in your personal life, in small group community, and in large group community. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for, for what you've been teaching me specifically over this past month. that I've uh, just been diving into this concept of discipleship and what your word truly teaches about discipleship. Father, I want to pray that we would, we would conduct our lives according to what your word teaches. Lord, that we would fall in love with you over and over and over again, more and more and more each and every day, Father. That we would dive into you in our personal lives, Lord. That our character would be shaped and developed by by how we spend our time when we're we're isolated, when, when nobody else is watching, Lord. May we dig deep into your word. May we dig deep into prayer. May we seek after your face in our own individual lives, Lord, but may not stop right there. Lord, may it, may it overflow into the small group community as we pour ourselves out into others and as we, we allow people in our lives who are pouring themselves out into us, Father. Lord, and may it continue from there to flow over into the body of Christ at Wall Highway Baptist Church, Lord. May it affect just how this church operates and the love that it, that it shows to this community as we follow you, Father. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.